All right, welcome back to another EDU podcast. I'm Jack. I'm Ty, and today we're going to talk about curiosity. Uh, It's one of those components of good quality teaching. And here in our district, we have a mission that says we are to prepare and nurture curious, adaptive, and creative thinkers who contribute to a changing world. And so we actually have a belief uh, about this uh, in regards to the integration of technology, um, and that is that we want our teachers to be providing academic experiences that foster curiosity. So we thought today what we would do is talk about what that might look like in the classroom, what it is, and maybe some tips on um, how to get started there. Yeah, and just talking about what makes our, I mean, we, we know intrinsically, we know our students are curious about the world, right? There are certain things they haven't experienced or certain things that they're just experiencing for the first time. Um, I know as a teacher, I mean, even when you mention um, a, a movie or something that is kid appropriate that you <laughs> saw when you were a kid or something or a music that, you know, this is again, student appropriate <laughs> that when you, that you experience, even when it's just something like that personally, that, that, that can definitely build that curiosity with students and kind of open up their world. You know, I mean, I remember, uh, at a young age, being given a tape or, you know, that's you know, very dated, right? A, a tape, tape or a CD. I know, I okay. tape, right? I do. I have some records at the house. A tape or CD or something musically that um, really built that curiosity in me. And it kind of, I, I, I was able to do my own research and do my own learning and kind of go off in that direction. And I know that's extremely personal and not related to education, but it, the same thing applies. You know, how can we build that curiosity with our students where they can move forward with a topic or a subject or something? I mean, I mean, anybody who's written a book or done anything like that or was curious about a certain topic, some of that started in education, right? When started at school, you had to write when you were younger. Yeah. yeah. You know, I I have a five-year-old, and um, you talk about curious. Yeah. I mean, that's him. And so he's going to be starting kindergarten in the fall, and it makes me wonder, um, will he have the opportunity to ask as many questions he does here at home, you know, or will he kind of be... Um, quieted down because maybe we don't have time for that. We've got to learn letters and numbers. I don't know. So I, I hope that his teacher recognizes that that curious curiosity is important and uh, and really kind of builds on that and gets gives him the chance to maybe find out for himself some of these things. And so that's kind of our why we want to focus on this or focus on curiosity in the classroom. But really, what is curiosity and learning? And we have um, just a short, simple definition. Curiosity is the intrinsic motivation to discover, learn, seek, and explore academically and for personal interest. Now, a part of that definition I really like is the academic part. Uh, I think there's a – I think curiosity can be split into a couple different things. I mean, you – some – there are going to be academic subjects you are curious about, right? I mean, for me, it was history and science. Math and English, not so much. But those always intrigue me, and I always did really well in those. Um, and there are different things about history that I like, but personal interest as well. Um, building that curiosity and finding stuff that you're curious about. How many people, I'll say this, we have a lot of students, right, that don't, maybe they don't know what they're curious about. Yeah, yet. I don't think they've been given the chance to explore that maybe. And at least in a school setting? I mean, yeah, definitely in a school setting, but even in a personal setting. I mean, how many – I definitely um, feel for the plight of the modern parent, right? <laughs> there is definitely um, a lot going um, against the grain. There's a lot of things you have to kind of worry about. But is in that raising a child or putting you know a person out into the world, are we – as parents fostering that curiosity as well? Or, or is it, you know, we're so worried about 
life, food, clothing, whatever. I mean, are we not? Are we so caught up in the everyday of life that we're not? pushing our, our kids to be curious about things. I'll, I'll be the voice of reason yeah. with the parent that that's kind of, that's pretty scary. You yeah. Know, thinking about my nine, almost 10 year old, who's, you know, going to be going into fifth grade next year. And she is curious and does wonder about things. And, um, is that bad? No, but there's a lot of scary things out there that, you know, how do I just, do I turn her loose and let her discover that for herself or, do I just be the person to, you know, talk with her about things that she's curious and wonders about? Um, I don't know, Jack. Where's, that, the, no, where's I mean, the answer? And there's there's a ton. Man, there's so many things out there to be curious about, right? I mean, especially at a, a young age, you don't really know what's, what's going on. So there's a lot of new things we want to build. But as far as teachers are concerned, we definitely have the opportunity to build uh, curiosity about very – very, very positive things in our classrooms. Absolutely. And uh, the word that stuck out to me in that definition is the intrinsic motivation. Um, I want kids to have it within themselves and want to um, explore and do and know and wonder things on their own. I don't think kids should be, you know, have to be rewarded or given a prize for researching or looking into something. Mm. Um, it, it shouldn't be an, an outside motivating factor. So, um, you know, how can we um, build that want and that desire into kids to to look into different things? I think that's I think that's an awesome thing you touched on the prize or or the the motivation for uh, from other things from like an object and like that. I definitely think that there's so much in life to be curious about that you're never you're not going to get a prize. For no. 99% of it. But we build these things in because we want compliance, right? We want kids to be good. But really, that curiosity, I mean, if they're really curious about a subject and really passionate into it, there's not, I'm mean, in my experience in the classroom, I haven't seen much bad behavior come from that. That's true. That's a good point, that when you're into something and you're given, like, the authority and the yeah. ability to go look into that, man, yeah, there's no time for bad behavior. There's no time for... You know, I don't think as a teacher you have to worry about classroom management as much. Um, Maybe just, you know, helping make sure they stay on the path and and keep that goal and that end game in mind. But, um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so one thing we're going to touch on is how do we get our kids intrinsically motivated as opposed to extrinsically motivated? Maybe I didn't say that right. Whatever. But what's (laughs) the difference between the two? So um, intrinsic motivation, to me, it, it really... I, I almost think like it's it's one of those subjects you can't put your thumb on, right? Like say you see something and you're you're instantly curious about it, but you don't really know why yet and you mm-hmm. really get into it. And there are different hobbies that are like that. You know, you see them and it's just, you know how we're talking about, like you see a movie or not a movie, but you see a, an object or a hobby or something and, and it just, it sparks something in you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so I have um, like, if I ask, I'm constantly asking questions in my mind because I just wonder about things. So when I hear something new um, or something I've never heard of before, what do you think my very first thing to do is? Question it? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm going to question. I'm going to go to Google, right? So I go to Google. Google yes. And so I'm going to Google, what is this, right? So um, there's some closet Googlers in there who <laughs> th- think about the things that people are, are asking on Google, right? And so I think we do that because we're curious but maybe yeah. some of the questions we have, we're concerned about what other people might think. Maybe we're insecure about maybe our lack of knowledge on something. 
But um, and you can definitely see what's popular on Google at trends.google.com. That's a that's a big one to kind of see what, especially what are the majority of people googling. Like what are they what, curious yeah, about? Yeah, what are they curious about, what right? What are they curious about? So what questions are people asking? And so I think we can take that and as teachers really, um, I think a takeaway from that is give kids time to question, okay. right? Capture the questions that students have. If you know that you're going to be talking about, right, the Civil War one day, um, you know, are kids going to be curious about that? Some aren't, but... I am because I love it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely goes with what or how you can build in that curiosity. Like, say, say the Civil War, for example, you can always place the Civil War or be creative with how you place that in context. I mean, I came up with an activity uh, where I had my kids pretend they were time travelers going back in time, and that kind of built that curiosity in mm-hmm. of not seeing the Civil War for just it was, hey, this is a war between a bunch of dead people, and it had a goal at the end. It was, how can I in this alternate scenario, make a difference? How can I do that? And so they had to, they were curious about, A, time traveling, going back in time, Mm -hmm. and stopping the Civil War and kind of stopping all those people from uh, meeting a, you know, fate or whatever they had to meet. But Uh that was just a different curiosity piece. Yeah, so um, since curiosity is one of our strands, one of our defined um, components of uh, it's actually part of our technology plan in our district. We have behaviors that we want to see in the classroom. So we separate those into teacher behaviors and learner behaviors. So I wanted to share the two teacher behaviors that we have in regards to curiosity. And we're gonna, we'll say them and we're going to talk about those a little bit. Yes. So the first one is that uh, teachers should be designing lessons that foster the sharing of ideas and provide students the autonomy to be curious. Now, in that sentence, this, these two words, stu- or whatever, stuck out to me. Designing lessons. Yes, designing you, lessons is different than planning yes, lessons. Yes, you designing a lesson that is going to get your kids curious about learning. It's, it's probably coming from you or a, a planning session between you and a partner or you and a tech facilitator, you and somebody else, where... You design a lesson that is meeting the needs of your students. Absolutely. I think of the questioning piece during lessons, right? How many times have you taught a lesson and you're trying to question a kid forward, but the questions that you're asking are, they're surface level. Or they might be, hey, did you get it? Do you understand? Or maybe we're just asking too many um, questions that can be answered with a yes or a no. However, if we are designing these lessons and we are purposefully or being intentional about creating questions that are open-ended or that make kids think or make them wonder, then I think that's the difference between design and plan. And I think, too, whenever you design these lessons around or design a lesson around curiosity, well, I'll say I'll go backwards. I feel like when we plan a lesson, we're planning for every minute of the time we have these students. We, we need instructional minutes to be this. But I feel like when you plan a, a lesson around curiosity, you can't. And, and I, this is a we all know, we've all heard this phrase, right? I don't have enough time. Yes, we've all heard that. But when you plan and design a lesson around curiosity or around something, you are giving those students time to facilitate their own learning. Yes. So I'm glad you said that because there's actually kind of two subpoints to this behavior is that when teachers are designing these lessons, um, it, they should allow student initiated inquiry. So yes. it's not necessarily always the teacher 
giving or posing a question or doing that, it needs to be instigated by the student. And that's scary because what if the student's not on topic, right? What if um, it doesn't match our teak? Um, But we need to allow that to happen and then be prepared to control and guide maybe those conversations. Yeah, and and, and we had time mentioned earlier, but questioning is always a really uh, powerful tool. Question your students forward. Um, and like she said, starting lesson off with question-based inquiry. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different tools out there you use. I know uh, one of the things I like to do is I, I had a Padlet, and I would tell my kids, all right, we're going to talk about cells. Go. Find, find whatever you want about cells. Put it on the Padlet. Right. And then we'd, just, we'd talk about those questions, and we would go back, and we would an- I'd, have, I'd have them answer each other's questions. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of building that, and they would learn from each other as far as curious is concerned. Um, but, yeah. So one of the, there's a quote uh, that I have pulled up that I loved for this. It is, uh, it's by Eugene Anesco. I probably butchered this dude's last name. I'm so sorry. Um, it is not the answer that enlightens but the question. So and that's what we're talking about with curiosity. It's those questions that move people forward. Um, I know in our department, our boss is constantly questioning us. And I'm being totally honest. There are questions sometimes that I don't know the answer to. Right. But are they? Do they make you think? 100% they do make me think. There are questions I, I That's do, the point, right? I don't know the answer to. And honestly, they probably um, go over my head a little bit. <laughs> sometimes, just a little bit. But I can always come back. You know, those are questions that I remember. Yes. Those are questions that um, that I'm going to remember, and those are those are times that I'm going to remember that your students will remember. If you're questioning forward and you're you're building that curiosity, those moments stick out to them. Yeah, and I think that leads into this the second sub point of what what we need teachers to do is we should be modeling curiosity. We also need to be modeling risk taking and perseverance because mm-hmm. that That's risk taking, um, it you know. What does risk-taking mean for our students? For teachers, I think that um, maybe that's a little bit easier to define, right? Where we're wanting you to try new things, and maybe we want you to try these new tools. We want you to try to think of something in a different way. Is it the same for students? No, I, I think it's completely. I think it's completely opposite. I think with teachers, there's a, a rational and real fear of failure. Okay. I don't think our students have that. Uh, I disagree. You think I th- they do? Well, I think. Of, I mean, the middle school student, they, okay. they, I mean, their self-esteem depends on it, right? That's true, yeah. No, okay. Nobody wants to fail. No, right? I mean, that's true, but I think that when you, when you, if you tell a teacher to do something uh, new or interesting or, cha- or change something in their classroom, there's always that fear of what if it doesn't work and I've got 30 pairs of eyes staring at me? But that's where the perseverance comes in, right? That's true, And yeah. so I think if we can give up some of that control and be willing to put ourselves out there, try new things, um, get uh, learn alongside the students, right? We don't have to be responsible or the sole provider of knowledge for our kids. They are more than capable of finding out some of these things on their own. And if they don't find answers or they can't figure it out, then we need to teach them how to persevere, right? What do we do next? How do we question them forward? That's 100% true. And to be quite fair is not just your classroom you know and and in in a real sense it's theirs they spend a lot of they spend a ton of time in your classroom they spend a a lot a lot of time and they're going to have a lot of interactions in your classroom so i mean it should be should be it should be a shared space yeah absolutely okay yeah so there are different um, elements of curiosity that we're going to talk about today. So we'll kind of t- hopefully we won't spend too much time on these. We'll touch on them. Um, emotional connection. So with curiosity, what's the emotional connection? So 
I think of something like I hear a topic or I hear about a story and usually the ones that grab me or grab my attention, they're playing on my heartstrings. Yeah. Right? They're okay. they're they're touching a nerve and um, it makes me, you know, either want to turn the volume on to watch that video and really hear what's happening, or it makes me um, just take time out of my day to um, to listen to and, and learn about something. I think a lot of this emotional connection as well has to do with um, I, I, relationships, I think, too. I think if your students have, if they have that relationship with you, um, then there's going to be an emotional connection with and sometimes sometimes a content, right? That, you know, it goes back to, you know, if you have a person in your life that you are very deeply emotionally invested in, maybe a boss or something, you know, we've all, I think we've all had bosses that they ask to do something and we're like, yeah, we'll do it because you're my boss. But mm-hmm. there's bosses who will ask you to do stuff, but you you really put your heart into it, Patch, because you are emotionally connected or invested in them. Yeah, in a, in a work environment, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Uh, exploration is another big one. Are we Are we giving our kids enough time to explore things? What do you mean... Explore what? Like explore resources, could, explore topics? Yeah, it could or? be any of the above. Resources, topics, um, a different way of thinking than what they're probably used to. Okay. Uh, or exploring a topic from a different lens. Um, the civil, go back to the Civil War thing. Yeah, a different point of view. Different point of view. Are you experiencing it from, you know, are you a, a day in the life of a soldier and you're doing a three, you're watching, I mean, I, I know there's one out there. It's a, a you, it's a 360 VR video and you're in the trenches with World War II soldiers and they're shooting and mm-hmm. there's dirt flying everywhere. Are you experiencing it from that point of view or are you seeing it 2D on a piece of paper, a bunch of old dudes on a piece of paper <laughs> <laughs> that, that are at, the Civil War. It might spark some interest. Yeah, the, it's that exploration. Now, and the, the history nerd in me is just going to say that you meant you went from Civil War to World War II, so there's a little bit of well, a, a gap there. I'm going to call you out. It's not definitely my uh, expertise, like. but uh, it's that exploration, right? It's it's building that. Uh, this is a huge one for me. I uh, I know personally I learn the best when I connect to personal knowledge. Yes, so that's definitely an element of curiosity. Uh, personal knowledge, that goes back to context, too, and that's going to be another topic uh, that we'll be talking about in the next few weeks. But contextual learning is taking your background knowledge and um, kind of anchoring new learning to that. So to me... Um, I, if I know a little bit about something and I hear somebody else that's maybe um, working on a topic or a project that's similar to what I know about but a little bit different, I definitely want to know how they're doing it. And uh, connecting to personal knowledge really ties in with our students. They have, they're going to have a different viewpoint. And it, all of them are going to have a different viewpoint. You could give them all the same topic, and they're all going to go do something different with it. Absolutely, because so, of past experiences. Yeah, because of past experiences. Some students have had uh, experiences where, I mean, I've had students that have traveled some, traveled the world more than I have. And yeah. I was sixth grade, and I've had students who um, their parents are principals, or their parents are in education, or their parents are musicians, art, artists, engineers, X amount of whatever job or whatever career they've chosen, but they're all going to see it in a different lens, right? I mean, the principal's kid is probably experiencing a different life mm-hmm. than the musician's kid, right? Right. Uh, connecting to interests is a huge one as well. Uh, so I, I kind of have just a, uh, an example right here. So say you're going to do an acti- a writing activity on climate change. If we're going to connect to interest, what about climate change? You might give your students time to explore what about climate change interest them, right? If maybe you have students, I have a vast number of students that love animals, right? They might look at it from, 
how does climate change affect animals? How does it affect mm-hmm. sea life? How does it affect the earth? How does it affect humans? So there, there's always, and it, it, I wouldn't necessarily tell them, hey, I want you to, just, tell me about climate change. Mm-hmm. That's boring. Right. But having them connected to those interests might yeah. spark something where they maybe go above and beyond what I really wanted. And you, you mentioned that kids have their own unique perspective based on their life experience. Yeah. And so I think that's part of what we need to consider when we are designing those lessons is to um, right go back to that behavior. We want to foster that sharing of ideas. So how can we get kids to share those unique perspectives, to share their interest, to let other people know about their interests too? Because sure enough, there's going to be somebody in the room that you have the same interest or that you make a connection to that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have because in that academic setting, you haven't given them the opportunity to, to figure that out. And that, and that just goes with good classroom practices of building that, that area or that space where your students can share and share with their classroom and hopefully building, you know, where they're not making fun of each other. They're actually, right. it's a safe environment where they can share with each other. And where they can take a risk take to a risk, share. Yeah. They feel good about that. All of us, all of us want to be able to share with the people around us and be, and have some sort of support yeah. there. And not be judged for yeah, our unique judged. opinions. Yeah, of course. Uh, another element of curiosity is comparison of strange objects. Yeah, I'm not really sure on that one. You're so, going to have to elaborate. This this makes me think of, have you ever seen like early inventions from like early 1900s or late 1800s? They're the weirdest things that people came up with. And <laughs> yeah. so they're great question starters. Like you just throw up a picture and you say, what is this? But what do you think it does? <laughs> even in that regard, we might look at, I mean, let's go, let's go further a little forward. I, you know, I'm not 31, thinking about objects or inventions from the 50s, 60s, 70s, sometimes they're strange. Uh I mean, I can't imagine popping an 8-track into my car. (laughs) That kind of (laughs) that throws me for a loop. But for our kids, I mean, there's stuff, I mean, I hate to say this, but there's stuff from the 90s they don't know about. Oh, that's very true. (laughs) (laughs) There's stuff from the 90s they're like, what is this? Well, I mean, okay, so our seniors in high school were not born in the 1900s. Oh, man. They were born Awful. in pretty much the year 2000. So we are legitimately talking about 21st century kids here. 21st century people that are, they're literally just going off to college. Yes. They're not even out in the workforce yet. No. So they're just going off to college. Okay, so, they could, they, so they're going to be able to compare um, strange, I mean, for what they have today to back in the now, even the 90s would be strange sometimes, right? How they listen to music now, how they, um, even how you build curiosity then. Uh, I definitely 100% remember AOL 3.0. And I, <laughs> you weren't Googling anything. No. Um, I remember Ask Jeeves and all these other things, which. Wow. Yes, that's a throwback, right? But they, uh, you can always share these objects with them from your past. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be some laughter, some judgment, but you always have to take it with a grain of salt, right? These kids don't understand that. Absolutely. So you can build that uh, yeah. that capacity with them. Uh, mystery, surprise, and ambiguity. So I, I'm a fan of mystery. Um, okay. I mean, some of my favorite TV shows or things to watch are um, crime shows, mystery. Like, I want to know. I want to be able to solve the problem. I want to be able to... Um, kind of figure stuff out. So 
Um, mystery really makes me question things. Surprises, I don't know that I'm, you know, too big into surprises because I'm such a planner. Um, I think mystery kind of ties in, though, a lot with what kind of I I did a lot in my classroom was I would, like, say Monday, an average school week's Monday through Friday, right? Mm -hmm. I would start off Monday, I would just hand them a a topic or hand them a project. Okay. And I'd be like, go. And then I was, like, for the... For the first couple of times, they just stare at me. They're like, uh-huh. what do I do? And they had to figure it out from there. They had to figure out. They had to research it. And then I would kind of go around and question my students forward, kind of how they could relate it to themselves, mm-hmm. right? So it was very, very surprising for them. And there was a lot of ambiguity in that as well. So one example I think of with ambiguity is, um, you know, asking a pretty generic question, like maybe, hey, what caused the Civil War? Right, okay. and so there could be a ton of different answers. That's true. Um, one main answer, but um, giving kids the opportunity to figure out on their own, and so um, diving into um, a ton of different resources. Right, okay. uh, we love primary sources, um, looking at those uh, original writings from people and all that. But kind of keeping um, planning on it being like a wide open, wide open topic, wide open subject where kids can go in any different direction um, as long as we can come back together and um, talk about the whole, I guess. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, and so the, here's the big question that all, all the teachers, I think everyone wants to know. Does this make sense in a world focused on numbers and scores to be asking students to be curious? I mean, let's be real. At the end of the day, they got the test, right? They do have the Still test. got the scores. You need to have your scores up. So how do you, how does this make sense in that world? And, um, you know, if from my perspective, I, I think that good instructional, I, okay, if you were to break down a teak at the very basic, it's, there's not a, sometimes we overdo the teaks, I think. I think we overgive information about them. What do you mean? Like, it can, so say I had to do a teak on cells, I might really, you know, hammer or try to get the point home the cell has parts, Right. But they're not that difficult to get. Maybe my students already have them, and I'm really, and I, you know, maybe my first year, and definitely I was definitely gifted to this, I had an X amount of group that didn't understand it, and I was hammering it home to the whole class. Mm. I was really getting, giving them that too much information almost. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was, maybe I was uh, giving them the same information in too many ways. Okay. Instead of letting them discover it, I was just giving them information, right? Maybe so, you could have differentiated more for yeah, the class. No, for sure. So I think especially with uh, curiosity and curiosity in your classroom, you can easily build design lessons around those teaks that really hit what they need to know. Yeah, I think um, those are the skills. Like, yeah, we want them to master the teak and the objective, and I think if if they're doing that, then the data will come, right? I think they will be able to perform. I think what goes with that is, right, the perseverance. I don't want them to give up. So if they come across a question that they don't know, what are they going to do to solve it? Do they just skip it and say, hey, I'll come back to it later, or I'll just guess? Or have we equipped them with ways to go about figuring it out? And I think, too, it building that capacity within your school, say, uh, I don't know, I mean, I don't know many administrators, if you went to them and told them, hey, I want to try something different. I want to be different. I want to try, I want to build curiosity in my classroom. I want to question my kids forward. Um, 
I'm going to try this for X amount of time. You know, maybe mm-hmm. my scores might dip a little bit for the first one. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I know when I started doing like more of a collaborative style classroom, the first checkpoint, first test we took, it dipped a little bit, right? Because uh-huh. they were getting used to it. And it, there's a, there's a uh, growth. Uh, there's a time for growth in that. Some growing pains. Yeah, some maybe growing along pains. You have to get along the way. Um, I don't know. Any, I mean, any administrator would be like, you know, would tell you no. Like, don't try something. Don't, I don't know, go I might, forward. I might ask you and question you, why do you want to be different? Yeah, right? Do you want to be different for different sake? Or what are your what's your end game, right? What are you really trying to do? And so I think in that in that regard too, if you are doing um, or putting forward these like any of the uh, practices we're gonna talk about in the next few weeks forward in your classroom, um, being able to kind of tell people why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the purpose? What is your why? Yeah. And being able to so often our why is the hardest thing to quantify, right? Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing to tell people why, you know. Um, it's even when you ask why you ask people why they love their spouse and they do, ah, they're funny. I don't know. They, 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 it's hard for them to answer that, right? Or it's, um, what's that, what's that Simon Sinek says? It just feels right, but that's not really quantifying something, mm-hmm. does it? Well, so, so we've identified some learner behaviors, right? Okay, so yeah. what we want to see, um, from kids. And so number one, we want our kids or our learners to be able to develop questions and then seek answers to their own questions. So when we are designing those experiences for class, um, do we give kids time to, one, ask the questions or to come up with questions that they're curious about? And then do we give them the opportunity to find those answers? What's the second learner behavior on that? The second learner behavior is we want learners actively participating and taking risks throughout the learning process. So it's not just kind of a one and done. It's like a continuous questioning is kind of the feel that I get. I like the uh, statement of, of taking risks. You know, um, yeah, having students take risks and really explore, and they may not, they're definitely not going to get it right the first time. Well, yeah, and I'll point out that the like level one behavior, like the entry point level is kids developing questions. But how often, like I think of our littles, they ask questions that are so off topic and so like out of the box that they're not relevant. No, I mean, I wear no show socks. I got asked the other day by a first grader (laughs) if I wear, I wear socks. They're like, do you wear socks with your shoes? I had to show them I wore socks. (laughs) What were you there to teach them? I was just walking through the hallway. (laughs) It just got out of line. Kids just curious. You wear socks. (laughs) But whenever we look at, right, our top level, um, it moves into a different type of question asking. It's we're developing relevant questions and we're using a lot of different resources to um, to figure out, to come up with those questions and then to answer them. So, le- so level one is just have your kids ask questions. Yes, and, le- and, uh, and share that out. And share share, out. share so, with the class what you're curious about. And there are lots of different ways. You, I mean, there's t- so many... This is we're definitely not about like uh, apps or tools. There, seesaw, Padlet. I mean, there's a ton of tools. Google Classroom. There's a ton of tools you can use to Absolute, do that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the the reason why we say include a tool in that is because we have the power to read the thoughts and the beliefs of the whole entire room in a matter of seconds. So when we talk about um, kids being able to share their questions. We can instantly have a whole class, of, a, a whole list of 30 questions. One of my favorite things to do is to create a quick Google form and give it a topic. 
So let's say that, um, I don't know, give us a, give us a science topic. Uh, moon phases. Okay, moon phases. So maybe to introduce moon phases, what I might do is on that Google form, instead of them coming up submitting answers, I would say, give me your top three questions that you have about moon phases. Hmm. And so what that does for me is that in a class of 30, I should now have 90 questions about moon phases that we've collected. And so then we start learning about moon phases and... Uh, we, all, we will be learning something, right? Yeah. And so what if either throughout that process or maybe at the end of learning moon phases, we can come back to the original questions that we asked and see if now we can answer them. And if we can't answer them, then we have more learning to do. You know, and, and in, in the regard, the shifts that we see in our classrooms are pretty gradual, I think, but let me, 20 years ago, right? I mean, you it was raise your hand, question and answer style. Now we have these tools um, that can include all of your students on, on the questioning uh, and include different demographics, your EL, your ELLs, yes. your English language learners, your um, all those kids, kids that would never raise their hand, would never talk right. to you. Um, they now can participate in a, a digital way and get their feedback out there. And even then... How many, all, there's a lot of apps like Seesaw, Google Classroom, whatever, you can like and comment on things. Yes. You have to, un, like, a lot of these teachers have to understand these, that's how our kids are growing up with liking, yes, kind that, of comment thing, commenting things. That's how they're communicating, that's right? That's That's their culture. And so I think letting kids see that there is um, an academic way to use some of these tools and some of these features um, it, it can be a way we learn, not just a way that we socialize. Or, or seeing it in a positive way. Yes. Not to say that our parents are dropping a ball on social media, but <laughs> social media is a vast world, and it's very hard to monitor social media of your children. It's very hard to monitor. I mean, literally at 13, they can sign up for an account mm-hmm. on any device, and their friends have devices. But in our classrooms, we can model positive social interactions through curiosity. Is that called digital citizenship? Maybe. Yeah? <laughs> that might be a future episode. Yeah, digital citizenship. We'll hit on a couple of those at all. Uh, but that's really the key here is taking what your students already know and almost using it for them, maybe not against them, but for them in, in a good light. Uh, I think that questioning, having your students come up with the questions is, is, is key. I think that it's such a powerful, um, such a powerful thing to have your teacher ask you, "What questions do you have?" Yeah, like right, like, absolutely. And you can move move forward with that. So I came up with um, a couple of my favorite ways to um, add or infuse curiosity in the classroom, and you know I come from a middle school background, and, and I'm also working with high school kids. So um, this would be basically like every time I start a class, but for maybe our younger classes, maybe every time you start a new topic or lesson, um, I like to start class with a question that everybody can answer. And that's really important because imagine if you ask this question about, you know, your topic for the day, the, the educational thing that you're supposed to be learning, and kids don't have any background knowledge and they come in already defeated because they can't answer your question because they have no clue, they have no idea. So... An easy entry point is a question that everybody can answer. And so some of my favorite questions are, would you rather questions? <laughs> so Jack, I thought that I would ask you, would you a couple of these oh, would God. you rather questions. Would you rather be transported permanently 500 years in the future or 500 years in the past? Future. Future. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, would go, I would go past. I have no interest in, I mean, 
I know where I'm at now. Uh, 500 years ago? There's no 1500? Um, there's no YouTube. Middle Ages, YouTube. doesn't sound very good. No, okay. I don't know. I mean, it's Black Plague? I don't think YouTube will be around in 500 years. Well, I'm sure there'll be something else. <laughs> All right. Would you rather be caught in a lightning storm or a blizzard? Lightning storm. I'm not. I'm from Texas. I'm not very good with the cold. Yeah, I hate being cold, I'm too. I'm not very good with the cold. All right. Would you rather speak 10 different languages or be able to talk to animals? Talk to animals, 100%. <laughs> how many times? I mean, I don't know how many times I've wondered what my dog or my cat is thinking. <laughs> just my, You know, animals are so trippy, man. My cat will just sit there across the room and stare at me, and I'm just like, sometimes <laughs> like, what are you doing? So imagine if you were maybe in a science class talking about animals. What if you're talking about food chains or, you know, food webs or any of that, and you're going to be talking about animals in class? How fun would it be to give kids, right, a a small conversation starter about that that is a great segue into the educational stuff? Oh, of course, yeah. And these are all great questions that really are going to – they're kind of funny, but they're going to get them thinking. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, you can build – I'd say the biggest thing is creativity in your classroom, creativity in your lesson design, your lesson planning. Um, too often, we as teachers aren't very creative in the classroom, but we have this medium where we can literally ask and do. What, I mean, there, let's be real. There's a lot of freedom yeah, in education to be re- creative. Yeah. I mean, if you're an actuary or you work at a bank, I'm sorry, <laughs> there's not that much creativity. Let's be real. There's not. Or you are an insurance adjuster or something. You just kind of have to see the facts as they're presented in front of you, right? See uh-huh. the numbers of facts. But being a teacher... You have the opportunity to do whatever you want. And if you have administrators and people around you that are supportive of you, I mean, I did for sure. I had people who were like, yeah, do whatever you want. I think for um, definitely in this time of standardized testing that has um, kind of ruined and hindered our creativity in the classroom, I think it's, it's it's caused a lot of people to kind of lose their craft. I mean, I think... There's, like you said, there's a lot of creative people out there. Of course, yeah. Um, and I don't know that we can do whatever we want, but, <laughs> <laughs> right, but uh, <laughs> they're within reason. But um, I think some people, we've forgotten how to do that because we haven't, um, we've been so tied up in um, making sure that the data is backing up um, what we're doing. Yeah, of course. And you were saying that you had some more things about adding curiosity to your classroom? Yes. So um, a- another one that I really like is a f- use for time when you're trying to generate a ton of ideas or um, maybe you're trying to come up with solutions for a problem. That's called crazy eights. So the way that works is you just take a sheet of typing paper, you fold it, I think, four times to make eight squares. Okay. And um, so what you do is you have an eight-minute timer. And you pose a question or, uh, like, what's a, what's a problem we can use? Um, how do you, I don't know, how do you solve world hunger? Okay? okay. So it can be any problem. And you start the timer. And I always have kids or teachers do this in pen because I don't want them erasing any idea that we have. Because Crazy Eights is all about the quantity of ideas and not the quality. Okay. So we just want to get as many ideas out in the room as possible. So the timer starts, and you start in your first square. And so you come up with your first solution for world hunger. You can sketch it out, or you can do some bullet points, take some notes, whatever. But for that first minute, you are writing down your first idea. And then minute two comes. You move on to the next box. 
And so you have a new idea. And the rule is, is that you have to keep your pen writing um, because once you get down to like idea five, six, seven, you feel like you're going to start running out of ideas. But again, you just keep thinking, what if? And literally, um, the sky's the limit. We're not talking about if this can logistically be possible or if this will even work. We're just trying to get the idea out there. So when we're all finished with those eight minutes, you have eight ideas on how to solve world hunger. So now it's time for the room to start sharing some of those ideas that you came up with, like your top three. So then you almost, it's almost like a gallery walk, right? You put everybody's eight ideas out there, or maybe um, they've circled their top three. Then you give people some stickers or some dots where they can go around and they can put a sticker on their top two ideas out of the whole entire room. And so what you then have are um, ideas vetted by other people, right? Reinforced um, by other people and just a great way to get a ton of ideas out there. So that's crazy eights. And while you were saying that, I was I was thinking you could always put those top ideas that you did the sticky dots with. You could put them on some sort of digital platform so everyone gets to see every groups. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That the be a, I think we've done it uh, with a, a Google Slides. Yeah. Um, where you take your top three, put them there, and then maybe you use the comment feature or you know highlight them or something. I don't know. Yeah, and then I thought also as well about um, another topic I kind of learned about last week was a uh, solution circles. And so you, you sit in circles and you have, you can put as many as you want and then you have, you have three questions. So it could be three questions of curiosity about your topic mm-hmm. and the kids have to kind of discuss them at the tables and they put, they put their stuff on a collaborative doc, Google doc or something. Mm-hmm. That could be kind of a cool way to start your lesson off and see a, what they already know, mm-hmm. where your starting point is as a teacher. Cause too often I think we just start the lesson, right? We're going to talk about cells. Mm-hmm. Here's the bare bones. Now every student's, not every student's going to need that. Maybe right. some of them might already have. I mean, I was in a, a kindergarten, first grade classroom a couple weeks ago, and this kid was doing, he was doing pretty complicated math for a first grader. So I was like, I don't think he needs to be, he was doing multiplication already. Uh-huh. And he does not need to be start adding. You know, <laughs> when we start with adding or subtracting, this kid's already doing multiplication, his parents are already teaching him that. So you might see kind of where your students start with. That sounds like the traditional, <clears throat> like the KWL chart, right? What do we know? What do we want to know? And then come back oh, yeah, after, yeah. right? What have we learned? So it, it, it's a good idea to definitely right? Quiz the room. What yeah. do we know about this and what do you want to know more of? And even with, you know, I, I think that definitely with a lot of these topics, like we'll, we mentioned contextual learning once, we mentioned digital citizenship, formative, we'll mention formative sudden differentiation later, uh, but even differentiation with curiosity comes in. Mm-hmm. Not all of your kids are going to be curious about the same thing. They're not going to be the same level. You definitely have students that are, uh, and you know these students, their quality of work is yeah. a, a a little bit above the other people's or maybe their quality of work's a little lower. So you kind of have to modify your, the curiosity and accept, accept their best from them and be okay with their definition of what's the their best they can do. Not everybody's best is yeah. created equally. And, you know, as a adult, your best is obviously a little bit more advanced than your students. And mm-hmm. do, and that's another thing with a lot of the curiosity. Sometimes we kind of hold our kids to those standards, our standards, right? But should we be holding them to our standards or should we let them be curious and do things on their own and hold them to their standards? Right. I think we can set a high expectation yeah, for course. each and every student, but meet them where they're at and understand that. And I think that goes back to making sure that we're building relationships with our kids so that we have identified that. Um, so 
I think one other quick uh, example. I love, I wonder, right? Oh, yeah. So I fill in the blank. Yeah. I wonder if, and I mean, it, it could be any topic. Yeah, Civil um, War. Civil War. War. Yeah. I bet you wonder a lot about that. I wonder, you know, how did people live back then? How did they fight? Um, How did you come into the Navy or whatever army or whatever the Union forces? Yeah, there we go. See, (laughs) the Confederates and the Unions. How how do you get to those things? I mean, obviously, we have structures in place now where you go sign up and there you go. But uh, how did... How, How did people did, even hear about it? I, yeah, exactly. I don't know. There was no YouTube. How did you hear about it back then? There was no... I couldn't just log on to Google News and see everything. Um, so we, with curiosity, we want to leave... Um, hopefully, this gave you a little better insight into what curiosity can look like, can be in your classroom. Um, we really, really hope that um, this inspires someone, at least one person. Yeah. I, to, I hope it, it makes you think about whenever you are... You have created your lesson plans, right? But now it's time to look at those and really be intentional about um, including curiosity um, into those plans. When are you planning for kids to ask questions? Um, what opportunities are you giving uh, giving and, for them? And not just initially, along the way. Yes, along the way too. Their questions are going to change. They might have, you know... Well, <laughs> keep using civil war because we're stuck on it. But, you know, their question might be, I wonder how you heard about the war or got into it. And it might be, it might go from uh, that to, I wonder what a day looks like. Yeah. I wonder what a night looks like. I wonder what a year in looks like. I mean, it was multi-year, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, good. (laughs) So I wonder how how does a year look like into this or how does, uh, what does the aftermath look like? Yeah, so, you know, if we can capture their questions along the way, give them an opportunity to answer them. Um, It's going to, I think, be a little bit more meaningful to them. So we want to challenge you with that. Allow your kids the opportunity to ask questions and um, be curious yourself. Find something that you want to know more about. And the last thing, I mean, one of the last things I would share is tell your kids what you're curious about. Yeah. Share that curiosity with them. Um, and you, you can do so much with digital platforms. Um, if you're a teacher and you're blogging or putting stuff out there uh, that your kids obviously is appropriate for your students and your career, <laughs> but you can put that stuff out there and tell them, do a blog post. What am, what am I, or tell them, what am I curious about? And see um, if other kids are curious about the same thing. If you're curious about, I don't know, art or, or something else, how can you? build that emotional connection and that curiosity with students. Yeah. And that's how some of our clubs get started, right? We have, te- I know uh, we have some of them, I know now we have drone clubs or something. Drone clubs. We have drone clubs because people, teachers or students were curious about these things, these things in our lives now. And now they've come together and have a platform to be curious about this together. You know, and that might even mean, that might even lead to careers for somebody. You know, we never know. So, um, yeah, provide that time. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed hearing about curiosity. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.